Hey everyone, Chris here. Also got Dan with me, and we're doing another great episode of A Father's Love Healing Through Heartache. Dan, how's it going, buddy? It's going okay, bud. Good to see you. Great to see you too, man. So we have uh, quite the treat today as we have our good friend Doug on. He's going to jump right into his story, and uh, I'm super excited to just talk to Doug. He, he has a lot of experience with something similar that we're trying to do with our podcast so i'm looking forward to hopefully learning from him and uh with that doug i'm gonna throw it right over to you bud okay thanks hi chris hi dan i appreciate uh, you guys inviting me to join you today um i first want to commend you both on uh, on your efforts to reach out to grieving men um and do what you can to just just help provide resources and provide information or just provide a forum in which we can all just connect and talk and and share our experiences so a um, little bit about me my story um, is um, in, in 2014 I lost my 24 year old daughter Katrina uh, to a drug overdose um, was a um, total shock. Um, I was with her. She worked with me in my businesses before I retired and everything else. She, she, I was with her on Thursday afternoon. Um, and I remember walking out the door with her. We walked out together and as she was starting, she said goodbye and started heading, heading to her car and gave me a hug. And, and, um, I just, I remember, um, I remember telling her I loved her and I tell you, you just, you know, you never know. Uh, I certainly didn't know that that was the last time I was going to be able to say that to her. Um, so anyway, uh, I actually had a business trip. I went out of town uh, the next morning. We had plans to get together on Sunday to go on the bike trail together and go for a ride. And, and um, I remember trying to reach out to her a couple of times on Saturday. I had business in Chicago and I was in an event and, and, and was trying to text her several times and I didn't get a response, which was a little unusual, but not unusual for, as you guys can imagine, from a 24 year old, just that this month, the response is often delayed sometimes by a day or two. So, um, Anyway, I got the call. I was headed back to Cincinnati from Chicago, uh, about an hour out of Cincinnati. And that's when I got the phone call um, from my stepson. And he said, I wanted to let you know that um, um, Trina's gone. And I remember just so clearly just saying, where is she? You know, is she okay? What's going on? And he said, no, you, you don't understand. And and told me, and 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 I, I can remember every second of the rest of that drive. Um, so anyway, and, and it was such a shock that that's how she um, lost her life because Trina was, um, she was studying to be a nurse. She was um, so obsessed with just clean, healthy living. I mean, she made all of her own soaps and shampoos and would not drink the same bottled water I did. It had to be this certain brand. And, and it was such a contradiction. Her lifestyle was so healthy and, and it was such a contradiction to think that she would ever experiment with drugs or try anything. So we, myself and the rest of the family, we really had no idea that um, she had, had been experimenting at all or was, was trying anything like that. And we think it might've been her second or third time that she tried it, um, she tried heroin and unbeknownst to her, it was laced with fentanyl and the fentanyl was actually what killed her. So unfortunately, this is a story that I hear over and over and over and over again, far too much. Um, so needless to say, I'm Trina was my only daughter. Um, she, her death really brought me to my knees, just as I'm sure you guys have both experienced all the same feelings and same emotions and everything as well. Um, so um, I just, I remember, um, I know a lot of guys that I talked to that you know, they, they uh, are in positions where they have to get right back into work and they got to jump back into life and all the, all the responsibilities and things that they feel that they have to do to, to take care of others uh, and the rest of their family. I was fortunate that I owned my own businesses and I was fortunate that um, they could be on autopilot for a while and they just sort of tended to themselves. So I, I had the luxury 
of taking time to just process and just um i just i remember being in such a fog and, and being in shock for what seemed to be months or a year so you know i mean it just um everything you know your whole world changes when you experience something like that so um so then like i said my my marriage my my marriage fell apart shortly after trina passed um so was kind of going through that um and it wasn't too much longer but before trina had died she um came in my office one day and she had seen a about an organization on on facebook and i was in the art business i owned an art conservation restoration business for 40 some years and and then also had a high-end art gallery here in cincinnati so i had a lot of connections and, and artists artist friends and people in in the art world um and she brought in some information came in one day and she said i learned about an organization over the weekend that that and i'll never forget her standing on the other side of my desk and pointing her finger at me and said you need to do this this would be really good for you and for the gallery and, and and she said i think this would be a good thing and basically it was a new nonprofit that had started in cincinnati that um uh paired or artists portrait painters with um young people with craniofacial deformities and and burns and they, they work through cincinnati children's hospital and shriners burns institute um and they would connect these young people and their families with these artists who would spend in some cases months with them to get to know them and sketch them and they painted their portraits for them um and they painted them as they are you know not their they didn't change anything so um the relationship that built i think it um, built trust and self-confidence from the sitters um they felt that if these artists were really going to invest in them and spend that kind of time to paint them it really helped to build their self-image and i thought what a cool organization uh and these portraits were donated then to the families <clears throat> and to the end of the sitters so um I asked her to give me the information, which she did. Next day, she had it all printed off, and I put it on my desk and, and set it aside, like lots of things, and said, I'll get to it when I can. Well, then she passed, and it was a few months after she had passed that um, I remembered that she had done that, and I went in my office in the middle of the night one night, and I just thought, I'm just going to go see what kind of piles are, or what's piling up on my desk and go stare at those walls for a while. And, and um, I... I no sooner than I sat at my desk, I looked over and I, I found those papers she had printed off. Started reading through them um, the next morning. I waited till 7.30, 8 o'clock the next morning. Um, and I called the founder of the organization and asked what I could do to help. And he was aware of my gallery and, and what I was doing in Cincinnati. And said, I can't believe you guys have called that you called me. He said, we're desperately looking for a gallery that will host our first unveiling of 12 portraits for 12 kids and their families. And I mean, my timing was just like spot on. So, I mean, it was absolutely meant to happen. Um, so I said, I jumped on board, said, we'll sponsor, we'll do everything we can do to take care of that. And, and um, so the reason I tell you all that is because I think my Trina set that up for me. I really do believe that. Well, one of the kids of those 12 happened to be Logan um who is renee's son that, that we lost so i met logan through that opening and and process of, of hosting that show in my gallery got to know him and a couple weeks later um i just i was he really lifted me up and he gave me purpose again and i thought you know this kid if you know he can be you know logan had gone through over 100 medical procedures and surgeries in his life he was special needs um he had he was undiagnosed he had a hole in his heart failure to thrive had no immune system had to get um, infusions every two weeks at home um i mean you name it this kid had it had it, had it wrong but he was so happy and so full of life and so um willing to help others um logan helped raise enormous amounts of money for Cincinnati Children's Hospital and through the Hamilton County 
uh, developmental disabilities associations here in Cincinnati. Um, I mean, he was on billboards, buses, every, all over the city. He helped raise a lot of, a lot of awareness and a lot of fun for the disabled here in Cincinnati. So I, you know, I mean, if this kid can plow through this and figure out a way to, to find joy and find, you know, happiness, I, I you know, I, I can pick myself up and, and I can start to put things back together again. So Logan was instrumental in helping me just process and deal with Trina's death. Um, so I met him the night of the opening at the gallery and uh, just kind of hit it off. And, and um, long story, long story short, you know, um, started spending a lot of time with he and his mom. The big joke was Logan always teases that, you know, I fell in love with him first, then I realized he had a single mother. <laughs> and and um, so Logan and Renee and I spent a lot of time together. Um, I helped, started to help get involved with this care. He stayed with me when um, she traveled for business and different things. So um, I had a year and a half with Logan. Um, and then um, in uh, 2016, he um, got sick, had the flu really bad. She, Renee took him to the doctor, who then sent her right to the emergency room. Um, shortly after that, he was in ICU and, and critical care and um, um, from, was being treated for complications from pneumonia. Um, and was, I was with him when um, they came in to incubate him and there were problems. You know, the, the, the tube punctured his lung that put a lot of pressure on his heart um, and he coded. And um, I mean, it was just a pretty horrible experience to be there through all that. And he, um, in a weird kind of way, Logan would have been really proud that he holds the record for the longest cold coded since eight children's. Um, but he pulled through that, they got him through that. And then um, um, really spent the next two, two and a half months on total life support. Um, at 20 years old, I mean, we, we witnessed him grow a beard while he was on life support that um, We'd never seen that before. Um, so, so anyway, in 2016, he passed away. And Renee and I have been together ever since. You know, I just, I mean, honestly, I, I, it really helped me in the sense, and both of us, that we shared this loss and journey, of, you know, loss of our kids and journey together. Because... Um, I know that a lot of couples really struggle with that and it's, and it's important that, you know, they recognize that everybody grieves differently and they got to give each other the, the, the room and the space to be able to grieve differently and, and do what they have to do to, to live with this and, and, and figure out how to live with it and continue. Um, so shortly after Logan passed and they had the idea we ended up, um, starting a foundation called the Lovis Foundation, which is a combination of Logan and Elvis. Logan was a diehard Elvis fan. Um, he got a Make-A-Wish uh, trip when he was 10, and um, he wanted to go meet the president. Logan, um, uh, even with all of his challenges, he almost had savant qualities. I mean, he was obsessed with American history and, and presidents. And... Um, uh, so they went to Washington and he got to, he's in his wheelchair and he goes around the corner with his mom and he got to see the, um, the big famous portrait of the photograph of, um, Elvis with Nixon It's called, um, uh, the president meets the King, I think is the title of it. So they go around the corner as so I'm told. And all of a sudden he just, here's this nerdy little kid with his fur haircut and bow tie and and his jacket on and he's in his wheelchair and he stops his wheelchair just dead. And he says, mother, who is that man with Richard Milhouse Nixon? And it's Elvis. And he said, well, she said, well, that's Elvis. And who is he? And she told him about him. Well, then he said, I'm going to have to do a little checking up on him. And he got obsessed with Elvis and especially his religious, the, his ballots. And, and, um, uh, but so long story short, she ended up building him a stage in his, in his lower level of her house and 
and then which I ended up having to do in mine and and with all this equipment and everything else and and he had nursing care um, all night long respite care so that she could sleep um, and the nurses would come in at 11 o'clock at night and then be there until seven the next morning but when they would get there Logan would have his have the show already his you know his, his performance all ready to go for the nurses and they'd go downstairs and get all this equipment going and everything else and he couldn't sing where the darn I mean he sounded like a wild animal down there trying to sing but he thought I mean it was his world I mean he really thought he was right there um, well, I'm happy to say the foundation has grown and the connections through all of his connections all these all these guys that our um, Elvis tribute artists, they've just circled him and hug him. They got to know him and they recognize him. And Graceland even recognizes him as an Elvis tribute artist and, and has recognized the foundation. Um, so it's really grown. And we're, what we're doing is doing a lot to help the underprivileged and help kids with um, challenges and disabilities. We're helping to fill the gaps in the community. Um, with programs and things that where a lot of these kids are overlooked, and we're, we're we're trying to do some of the small things that we feel are really making a difference. So we have big dances; they're like prom prom night for you know um, fifty to hundred kids. That you know we do that a couple times a year. We're getting ready to do one for adults with disabilities too, um, because we're finding so many of these kids and and people um, don't have a whole lot of resources and a whole lot to do. Um, with their peers and, and people that are very much like them where they can really connect with. So anyway, I kind of got sidetracked there, but, um, so as a result, I guess, you know, since I retired two and a half years ago, sold my businesses and building and everything. And, and, um, shortly after Trina passed away, I started going to the compassionate friends meetings for couples and for, well, just, and I went by myself, but, um, for parents of, of that have lost children here in Cincinnati, and and it really helped me a lot. I thought they were, you know, it was a good group. But I will say, what I what I noticed after going to several of the meetings is that the men, in particular, sort of took a backseat to being there to support their wives, you know, or girlfriends or whatever. And the men very seldom, you know, really engaged that much. You know, they talked and they would engage, but um, not like the women did. And um, and it wasn't until they had one meeting where they separated the men and the women into two different groups. And I went downstairs with the guys. Um, that meeting took on a totally different dynamic. The conversation was something like I hadn't heard at any of the meetings before. The guys really started to open up and share and... Um, and, and reach out to one another for input and just some feedback on, you know, am I normal for thinking this or does, does this sound right to you guys? So it was shortly after that, I realized there wasn't really any structured resources, many for men here in Cincinnati. So I just casually and very informally started a group here in Cincinnati um, and invited half a dozen guys and it, it grew sometime some meet and we did it for about a year and a half or so they were just very casual started in restaurants and then eventually to create a more private space it ended up at my house and and um you know we we throw stuff on the grill and you know we did little potluck dinners and um really created a brotherhood among the guys that would come to the meetings and, and it was anywhere from six guys to 15, you know, depending on how many could show up at any particular meeting. We met once a month um, and it started to fizzle a little bit right before COVID. But then when COVID kind of shut everything down, you know, I mean, we stopped a little bit before that, but that really sort of ended it. Um, and in the last year, that's when I really started to think about the group and I just kind of felt pulled to it thinking, what am I going to do with my time in retirement? I'm, I stay busy, but I really want to have some purpose and um, decided that um, I'm going to refocus on channeling my grief as well through starting this other organization. Um, so I did. I'm just um, in October, November of last year, I decided to organize a nonprofit called Courage to Cope. That's Courage, the number two, Cope. Um, 
and it's .org if anybody wants to find any information about it. Um, here in Cincinnati, but I've designed the organization so that it can vary. We're starting here in Cincinnati and I'm kind of testing things and, and, and our group is, is doing really well here in Cincinnati. Uh, we started in January, so we've had three meetings so far. Uh, we meet the first Wednesday evening of every month uh, at an event center here in Cincinnati. <clears throat> um, but I've set it up so that it's it can very easily become a national organization. I think if there are any guys that, that are a little further along, you know, in, in their journey with this and, and they feel that they're at a place and at a point or a place where they feel that they can give back some and, and, and help to facilitate a meeting, I think I'm, I'm, we're creating a program that's, it's, um, it's really pulling together a lot of guys and a lot of resources, a lot of guys that do different things. For example, there was a guy that came to our last meeting who um, had lost a son, but he shared that one of the things that he's doing is um, putting together, he's developed a whole sort of curriculum and program for these two and a half, three day wilderness adventures and hikes for grieving dads. He takes about a half a dozen guys at a time and they do it in Kentucky and the, you know, and it's a camping weekend. And um, I'm a little too old and, uh, you know, my idea of camping is probably a little different than his, <laughs> but um, he's going to come back to our next meeting and really share quite a bit more. So um, I've just connected with a, um, a Greek counselor here in Cincinnati that, that specializes in suicide and grief. And, and I just, our meeting before last, we ended up, I think we had 13 guys there and, and um, six of them had lost kids to suicide. And when, when I asked them at one of the meetings, you know, what, what do you guys want to talk about? What are, what are some things that you want us to focus on in future meetings? And, and they asked if, is it, is, do you think it's possible to get somebody, a professional, a grief counselor, a therapist to come in and, and talk with us as a group? So I was, I've been fortunate. I was able to connect with a guy here in Cincinnati, uh, whose practice focuses on grief therapy, um, and he also does a lot with suicide and and um, uh, people that survivors of suicide um, because he actually lost his father to suicide when he was very young. So that's really why he decided to focus a lot of his practice on it. So I think, I think he's going to be a good fit. I think, you know, it's somebody that has experienced that at a, at a certain level that I think, um, we'll be able to connect with these guys and hopefully they'll, you know, they'll be able to open up. So he's going to be at our next meeting and has asked the guys to really give thought to questions and things that they want to, to have addressed or just, you know, to, to talk about in the meeting. Um, I'm really finding that by doing this and, and, oh, and one of the things that we, one piece of all of our meetings is we talk about challenges um, and then, tips and things that, you know, and, and six challenges and successes um, and, and where the guys can really open up and talk about some of the things they're struggling with, but then also share some of the things that they've done that have helped them get through some of the challenges that we're all facing. Um, and then another piece is that, that we've sort of focused on is, is our purpose. It's, you know, where, where do we sort of channeling our grief through purpose? And I'm finding that more guys that I talk to um, are really interested in, in getting involved and reaching out and connecting with other guys. Um, it's just having a, a platform to be able to do that and lay it out. And that's what I'm trying to hopefully do with my organization. And, and, and again, I mean, you guys are knocking it out of the park with that. I mean, what you're doing is just awesome. And, and I'm very you know grateful that you even asked me to come and share my story and talk about it all with you guys. And, and we would love, love to connect in any way. And, and, you know, as, as, as we just sort of move forward with what we're doing. So, um, we've even talked about trying to organize an annual or semi-annual retreat on a national level. Um, we'll see, you know, my experience with all this, I mean, we actually did one in Cincinnati. Um, we brought in um, Kelly Farley. He's the author of Grieving Dads from the Brink and Back. Mm -hmm. He came in and spoke. We did it. It was just one day. Um, 
and it was well received. And I think it was very helpful for the guys that came. But you know, thinking about maybe trying to put together a like I said, a national retreat that's a couple of days of a lot of um, a lot of resources and and people that have a lot of um, good information and good stories to share that I think help everybody just sort of figure this out. So anyway, that's kind of my story. Have you guys got any any thoughts or questions? Or... Well, that's ahead, awesome. That's awesome, Doug. Thank you for sharing. Um, it's. I'm interested every time we have a new guest on here because we're all walking the same path. Right. All our stories are so similar and all our stories are so different. Um, right. I believe, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe you're our first guest that's lost two children. Um, so just, again, we just always get a new perspective of things and the way that you've just worked through your pain in the one wet sense of trying to get find a way forward and make some positive things come to help yourself grieve and help other dads along the way it's just so amazing and commendable so well done thank you um the one question I have, that jumps I have my out, case just like you guys and everybody else you know you yeah got all the triggers and all the things and you know i still struggle with some things but you know, I'll never forget one of the first compassionate friends meetings that I went to. There was a husband and wife that ran the group initially, and they had lost a son 10 years prior. Um, I think he was in his uh, early 20s, uh, lost him to a uh, freak rodeo accident um, that they didn't want him to go to anyway. But, you know, then it happened. He lost his life. But I'll never forget him telling me, Joel told me that he said, Doug, I've I know this is early on for you and I know that, you know, that you're just struggling with every, every facet of this. He says, but if there's anything that I can say that'll give you some hope, uh, is that I promise you that the day will come when your tears, when some of your tears are replaced with smile, with smiles. Mm -hmm. He said, I absolutely promise you that. And he says, and you can count on me with that. And, and I tell you that I really that did give me hope, and I and that I clung on to that, and and I can remember it really was about two and a half years before that happened for me after Trina died. Yeah. Um, even with all the happiness and joy that Logan brought, you know, into my life after that too, but um, it, it I, I can remember that moment when that started to happen, and I'm so grateful for that. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that's a powerful statement for for everybody and I think Chris and I would both agree that there will when you're when your loss is fresh, yeah, you you just feel like it's never going to get any better, but that day does come right. where slowly over time the t the tears will always still come, but you will see those smiles and the the laughs and stuff return right. slowly. So, um I want to ask you about more about your group, um, Courage to Cope, and Compassionate Friends. Um, and I, I think I'm going to wrap a few questions into one. Um, okay. After Katrina passed, or after Logan passed, you uh, started the Logos Foundation. Um, you attended the Compassionate Friends, and then you decided to start your own group with the Courage to Cope. What why, what are the differences or why did you see the need to start Courage to Cope when you had compassionate friends? Um, I guess I'll leave it at that. It's a good, good, great question. And I think, um, uh, like I said, I think compassionate friends helped me a lot in, in the first year after, after Trina passed away. Um, but like I said, when I, when I went there, um, I really felt that even though it, 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 it's designed for couples and I, and I believe that while they actually in Cincinnati at the time, they really didn't have a side group or a subgroup for men. Um, I know that there were, they talked about, uh, a lot of the women met at certain, you know, Saturday mornings for coffee and had other group meetings outside of the couples meeting, but the men really didn't do that. And it's by no fault of compassionate friends. Cause mm -hmm. I know that they've 
tried many, many times to do that. And I think um, it just so happened to be, you know, I think the response and interest level of the of the men locally at that time, um, they didn't they didn't pursue it. So. Um, and then when I started casually starting just to pull together some groups, guys that I started to get to know that had lost kids um, and develop some friendships and relationships with them, um, they started to share with me how they really, you know, they, they, they wanted to have a place or I guess a, a, a place where they can really just sort of open up. And, and they all have pretty much said that when they went to the couple's meetings they really felt like their purpose there was to be there more to support their wife mm -hmm. than to be there to get support themselves um and i think you know when you get guys together and it's you know in a, in a men's group um the changes you know the focus there is on themselves and the men um and as you can, the conversation's a lot different, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, when we were doing the meetings real casually, yeah, they got off into a lot of hunting and fishing stories and, and a lot of sports and different things to where, you know, when we, we had our get togethers, I mean, it was, it became very social. Um, but there was always conversation that went back to our kids. And I guess in my case, I felt that, um, in doing that, I wasn't, I didn't really feel like I was facilitating the way that I should because we oftentimes had meetings that very, they didn't get to discussing our grief or different things. And I always felt like, well, the guys, I would let them dictate the feel of the meeting and the conversation based on what their needs were. Well, as the group grew, it, it, you know, it wasn't addressing everyone's needs. So that's why I think now with courage to cope, um, it's, it's, it's a bit more, it's casually structured, if, if that makes sense. You know, I, I go in every meeting with, I put together all these topics and PowerPoint things and all these different, I have all these things for us, you know, uh, video clips of other things. And since the beginning, I mean, I might get to five or 10% <laughs> of what I had prepared, you know, because I, I always feel like, you know, what, if I'm never going to cut anybody off. If these guys are sharing and, and talking about things that are important to them and things that are, you know, things that they want to talk about and connect and share, you know, as long as it's on, on topic, mm -hmm. so to speak, or even remotely close, <laughs> um, we're there to listen and we're there to be there for each other. And, and I have to say the group that's starting to form here in Cincinnati, I'm just so, you know, just blown away. I mean, I just, every time we have a meeting, um, some of the things that these guys share and, and, you know, and, and we've all learned through this is that, you know, we all now realize, you know, that we, you never know what's behind a smile with people and everybody's got challenges and everybody's got things they're dealing with. But man, when you hear stories, you realize that there's so many people out there whose challenges are worse than yours, you know? And, um, I don't know for me, I mean, it's been long enough where, I mean, I feel like I need to be there for other people. You know, I need to, yeah. and I'm sure you got, you guys are demonstrating that too, that, you know, you just need to help people that are struggling, you know, with it to, to kind of find a way to start to make sense of all this if, if they ever can, you know? Yeah. I, I appreciate you sharing all that. Cause, um, I mean, Chris and I are always looking for other people to join our show to come talk to our audience. Um, and there's so many parents out there, father, mother, couples, whatever, that are doing their own podcasts. There's so many different Facebook pages. There's so many different grief groups. Like, why are there so many? It seems like at the surface level, it seems like it'd be a competition. Um, but I think you highlighted it very well that the structure of every group, the personalities of every group, the the comfort level of the participants to share it's it's always different and right. um oh, and sometimes it's just as simple as the timing too i mean yes people are available on certain nights for certain times and you know it's just it's just providing enough resources where hopefully everybody who needs to can find 
something or someplace, some group that works for them, you know, that exactly that just helps them. Exactly. Well said. I see Chris talking, but I can't hear him. There we go. I messed up there. Oh, there we go. Doug, I think you brought up a really important word when it comes to men's grief that is overshadowed a lot, and that's the brotherhood. Oh, yeah. Uh, so important, such a word. Right. You know, being in the military, we deal with the brotherhood a lot, uh, you know, from deployment or whatnot that brotherhood with time leads to trust and that trust absolutely is what leads to being open about your feelings and your emotions and what's going on and that's why i really like your your layout for you know courage to cope and building the brotherhood slowly and you know it's it's going to take time of course but right um the other thing i think that you bring up that is so important um for anybody dealing with grief but especially dads, because here's what here's what I think. Like a lot of times with dads, we think we're supposed to be the protector. We're supposed to help our kids, however. And when we lose our children, we lose that purpose, right? We lose that purpose. Absolutely. And I really think that you saying, you know, finding that purpose again, whatever it is when you're dealing with grief, is so vital to getting to a point where you're, having those little smiles, those little laughs again, because I, I guarantee, you know, Dan and I, we started this podcast kind of early, I think in our grief, but mm -hmm. we really did it more for us to find purpose for ourselves, to be honest. Yeah. And it's just grown from there. So yeah. I just love to hear your ideas on the, you know, the brotherhood and the purpose again. Thank you. Thank you. Do you have any other thoughts with that, Doug, like about the brotherhood or purpose again or you know anything to elaborate on with that well for me um again because i'm not only just putting together and trying to facilitate the, this group just like you guys are i mean i'm part of it you know i mean i'm i'm looking for those connections myself you know and i think um um i've got an older brother my brother ron um, who lost a son teenage son to suicide um, 24 years ago um, and he was here when um, Trina passed away and I'll never forget before he left and all the family and that was going headed to head back home and everything else and he kind of pulled me aside and he, I mean, he mentioned to me that Trina's death was going to be one of many losses that I am about to experience. And I really didn't understand it all. And he explained to me that, you know, the people around me, just friends and colleagues and other family and, and, um, especially clients and people that are, you know, you, you, you just, you interact with regularly through your work and business and everything else and just your communities. Um, that so many of them, they're just, they'll be with you now and they're, 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 you know, with you now, but they're going to go away and many of them are probably not going to come back. You're going to see your circle really shrink down to the people that are very close to you. Um, and through no fault of their, of their own. I mean, they just, people just are very uncomfortable with this subject and, and they don't know what to say. They don't want to hurt you. They don't want to, you know, uh, cause you any more pain. And, and I really experienced that. I, I mean, I just, you know, I was so thankful that he had sort of given me some insight to that, even though I didn't really truly grasp it at the time. But over the next two, three, four, five years, um, and I still experience it today. I mean, you know, um, I can't tell you how often people interacting with Renee and I socially will meet him and they'll say, you know, oh, do you guys have kids? We'll say, yes, we do. And, you know, unfortunately, they're no longer with us, you know, part, you know in physically with us here. Uh, and then we tell the story and it's like, I mean, this happened several times through the holidays and just holiday parties and events. And, and it's like, you can feel them pull away and it's like, they can't get away from you fast enough, you know? Um, so we've both been really proactive with that and I had to do it early on and force myself to do that, to, you know, just engage people about in the conversation about my daughter's death and then ultimately Logan's and, and it was, you know, I remember telling people all the time, I said, no, no, and they 
talk about how sorry they are, sorry that they're, that they're sorry for the loss, but then they're also sorry that they brought it up. And, and I had to constantly, and I still do, reassure people that, no, 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 in a bereaved parent, we appreciate for the most part. I'm sure there are some people that, that it, it's really difficult for them. But for me personally, I mean, to me, to have somebody honor my daughter by remembering her like that, to ask how she is or, you know, everything else. And same way with Logan. Um, it's a little different with Logan because he was such a public force here in Cincinnati with all that he did. I mean, there's so many people around him where, where it was much different with my daughter, Trina, but um, her circle was much closer. And I think that's um, that's been a big hurdle to get over. So getting back to your, your question about the brotherhood is that I, like most bereaved parents that I know, um, find, find it easier to, and, and just, there's a closeness among parents that have lost kids when they're together. And there's this sort of openness and freedom and willingness to just talk and share. And, you know, I tell people all the time, I say, you know, I want to talk about my kids, even though they're deceased as much as you want to talk about your kids. I mean, I, I still love them, you know, I mean, that's what grief is as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's love. And, and, you know, you still love your kids just as much as you did when they were alive and you're never going to stop. So you're not going to stop thinking about them, you know, and we're never going to get over this. You know, I mean, you know, time allows us the opportunity to figure out how to, how to live with it and how to manage the grief and just how to move forward, you know, but we all have our moments and we all, I mean, I, I don't know if you can see right behind me, behind me is my portrait that I had. A good artist friend of mine painted of my daughter Trina uh, about a year after she passed away. And it's like, you know, I look at it every day and talk to it. <laughs> you know, I mean, I just, now it makes me smile. It never, it never, I can honestly say, I actually think that that's, you know, I know some people that just sort of put away mementos and things, remembrances of their child. And, and, and again, it's whatever works for mm -hmm. me. You know, we talk about Renee and I talk about Logan and Renee every every day, many times a day. I mean, as if they are still here with us, um, and that's that helps us to cope. Some people that might be difficult, and I understand that. Uh, and that's another thing, I guess, through this too. I've, we've learned, and and you read about. I mean, it's just is not to judge and, and not to. You know, not to criticize or judge anybody for what they need to do in order to grieve and to, and to process their grief. So. Well said. I like how, um, as you were just talking to, um, you highlight, again, I don't think I've heard the words. This is the first of many losses you're going to have. So true. It um, is, yeah. So true. Um and then also how you highlighted it. You have to force yourself to do things. And we've talked about that many times, but um, you do. You have to force yourself in almost every piece of your life. And how long is that going to take? There's no answer. It's as long as you need right. uh, because everybody is different. But the important thing is force yourself to do it. Um, it starts, Chris and I have talked numerous times and all the guests have talked like the first few days or weeks. I mean, it's going to be forcing yourself to get out of bed, to take a shower, to, uh, right. to whatever. Um, for a lot of, a lot of people, it's going back to work. Um, just everything along the way. Um, but I want to include in there for the, the men listening that you've got to force yourself to talk to it, talk to people. Right. Um, and that's hard for men to do because um, you do. We don't want to be vulnerable, but you have to open yourself up. It will help. And whether it's a podcast, uh, going to a grief group, um, just going to coffee with your best buddy or a pastor or whatever, but right. force yourself to take that step so that you can just proceed to that point of the healing that we all want and we're never going to heal but right. we 
can take that one next step. Yeah, the one the one thing too, um, I, I find it interesting you say that, Doug, about how people tend to stray away from you when you tell them you've lost a child, almost like you're contagious. Like if, oh, absolutely. if they talk to you, they could lose their kids. So see you right. later. We're not talking. Um, so I always like to try to throw out a little bit of tidbit of information if anyone's ever listening that hasn't lost a child, you know, and they're just trying to help others with grief. Go up and talk about you know, the child that was lost. I would say everyone that Dan and I have had on loves to hear it, loves to yeah. talk about their kids. So you're not going to make the pain any worse uh, by any means. Right. The other thing that I, you brought up, it almost sounds like, uh, you know, for me, I had Dan and then I also had Dennis, who is a guest on frequently, mm-hmm. almost like a mentor. You know, I yeah, had a, just right. one or two dads that i felt really comfortable with and then from there it continued to grow so those dads that are you know really looking to just start talking to someone find one dad that maybe has gone through grief and almost like a mentor program like hey see if they talk to you you could talk to any three of us up here give us a message shoot us a message we'll be your mentors to start off and from there that's where that hope will start to grow that you were talking about. So that's just my personal opinion on it. I totally agree with you. Completely agree with you. Um, To back up real quick, when you were talking about um, talking about our kids, one of the things that I've learned to do that is the simplest thing that you can do to just change the whole um, narrative of a conversation when we get close to talking about our kids and, and somebody mentions that they've lost a child, ask them what the child's name was. That just seems to just, I mean, you can just, you can almost see when you ask them that question, what was their name? You can actually see that their head jerk or their head move and they, they don't expect that you're gonna dive into that and say, I wanna know more about your child and ask them more. And I think I, think, um, I have found when I'm talking to other parents that have lost kids that that really helps to open the conversation and it's just so simple and it just that's all it takes um and um well and it, and it gets back i mean in, in back to too when people that you know like you're contagious feeling as you're contagious i mean i know uh, in my case another point i want to make is my in my business I owned my own business for 40 some years and had clients all over the country. And I noticed very quickly after my daughter passed away, my business went, I don't even know the exact numbers, probably, you know, it, 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 it just cut it. You know, my business went away by 40, 50%. And prior to losing my daughter, I would have just been a basket case over that after losing my daughter. It didn't matter. I mean, it was okay because my values changed. Things that used to be important to me were no longer important and didn't mean that I didn't care about things and other people and all that, but especially when it came to material things and the business that I was in was totally materialistic with art related and, and it wasn't something that was critical, you know, that somebody had to have purely a luxury item. Um, I started to look back and think, you know, yeah, the very core nature of my business and preserving and conservation and restoration and all that, yeah, that was important for a lot of reasons. But when I look at the materialistic part of it, I was like, this doesn't matter anymore. And so it was okay that a lot of that just kind of went away. And I wasn't in, really in any position to be able to continue to maintain that the way that I was and put my efforts and focus and everything into that like I used to. I just didn't have it in me anymore. And you, you lose it, go through losing a child. It, it changes you. It, it changes every facet of you in some way. Um, and it takes time to figure out where you want to go with that. You know, who you want to be after that. Now, the other thing is, you know, we, Logan, but at the time, you know, we didn't, after we lost both Logan and Trina, we didn't have other children. And I, you know, I talked to so many parents and fathers that they, they, they have surviving children that 
that they have to, you know, they've got to be there for them and they've got to, and, and really help them then to, you know, you got to pull yourself together enough to be able to help everybody else work their way through this as well and, and be there. And um, I've talked to so many fathers who's, who have several children, surviving children, and, and their relationships have been severely impacted because of the way that they express their grief or the way that they dealt with the loss of their sibling, you know, and then their, their, the other child. And, and, and there, there's, there's just so many facets to all this and grief and so many other issues that people deal with that you really don't know until you start to connect with other people that have experienced it. And, and you realize that, you know, there's just so much more out there that, you know, can be done to help people. So. Absolutely. Well, Doug, um, before we wrap things up, um, can you tell us, um, is, is the Logos Foundation still operating? Oh yeah, no, it's, it's thriving. All right. So, um, what's the website, Facebook page, any of the contact that we, Here's your chance to share with Thank everybody you, listening how they can find you. Okay. Well, the Lovis Foundation is thelovisfoundation.org. It's a nonprofit here in Cincinnati, and there's, they got a website. There's on all the social media, uh, there's a Lovis Foundation page. Uh, it's very active. You know, my wife, that's sort of Renee's passion um, to do everything that we can do with Lovis. Um, um, and, and, and it's very active. We're doing a lot with it. Courage to Cope is fairly new, you know, and it's courage, the number two, cope.org. There's a, a, a foundation and a fairly new Facebook page. And we, we've got posts about upcoming meetings and things there. So, um, and on the Facebook page for Courage to Cope, there are a lot of resources, at least for our area in our region, for uh, other groups, similar to ours for couples, for, 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 um, young people, uh, for grandparents, you know, um, so we're, I've been, one of the things that I did when I started Courage to Cope was to aggressively reach out to all the grief therapists in our region, in our area, um, the hospitals, funeral homes, um, oh my God, it just goes on and on. I mean, we had things printed. I mean, we're putting things in hardware stores, all the, the flyers, all this information about it, uh, any place that we can think where people might go. And then, and, and I've been, social media has been, been good for us as well to be able to just get it out there and ask that if you know anyone, if you know any dads or stepdads or grandfathers that, you know, that have experienced the loss of a child and you think they'd benefit just from connecting with other men who share the same, um, let them know about this. And you're right, it is a slow process, but it's there. I mean, I'm I'm constantly receiving emails and, and messages from guys that they're just ready to just put one foot out there and say, tell me more about this, you know, and, um, and you know, so. And I think the, the one thing about the Courage to Cope is, you know, there's, there's really no cost associated with it. I mean, I've started this and got it going on the website and everything else, but to start a chapter in your own area under the umbrella of Courage to Cope, which we hope to be providing a lot of resources in terms of programming and information and different things there that can just make facilitating a meeting pretty easy. Um, you know, I'm just kind of laying the groundwork for all that, but there's no, there's not really any cost. In my case, here in Cincinnati, we were able to find the, the Anderson Event Center, um, which is a really nice high-end event center that has some fabulous conference rooms with all the height, the technology and everything we knew, very comfortable, really nice lighting and everything. Um, we've reserved that main conference room every, the first Wednesday of every month for the next year. They're not charging us a, anything for the use of that because we're a nonprofit and they, they really like what we're doing and they feel that it's needed in the community. So I'm, I'm sure there are community centers and, you know, a lot of the groups are, are affiliated with churches and religious organizations and different things. And there is a lot of that, too. And we're I'm just trying to keep this as neutral as we can so that everybody who wants feels included 
and welcome and, 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 you know, so, um, but there are a lot of different ways to do that. I'm not doing anything any different than any, anybody, you know, any grieving dad or anything can go and do, you know, I'm just trying to, um, formalize it some way so that it has some consistency and, and can grow and, and be there for, you know, many, many more people. So I think my interest personally is just staying focused on the local group, but if I can encourage and, and help other guys in other areas do the same thing and then eventually be able to pull the groups together for some sort of international events and other other related, you know, uh, activities and outings. I mean, one of the things that we want to do is start to incorporate um, like music therapy and art therapy and, and different things into some of this too, so that it can organically provide some comfort and, and, and ways that um, that guys can help express themselves. Um, I think I had big ideas with a lot of that, but once these guys get, we get together and they start talking and it's like, here, this is why we're here. You know, this is the purpose of all this. And, and so that's, that's what we keep as our focus. So. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing just all the different things that you've done and highlighting what you just said. It's easy to get things, something started um, again for anybody grieving, whatever you feel you need, um, just right. start talking to people about it and your idea will kind of create itself and you will find right. those connections. And I'm in a very small Western North Carolina town, but the number of times I've asked for help and been, yes, donated a facility for that event um, right. because there are people out there who they may not have the time, but they have the facility and all it's going to cost them is the electric bill. Um, right. And that's the way they can contribute or they can make you that connection to whoever. Um, so just all the guys out there, just if you're thinking of something, just start talking to people. Right. Uh, you well, never it know. Does, it doesn't need to be on a grand scale. Like you said, it can just simply, if you know of somebody, mm -hmm. it can be meeting them for a cup of coffee and reaching out or, you know, I mean, yeah. sometimes, I mean, that has if sometimes as much, if not greater impact than a group meeting or an event, you know, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, right. we're all in this together and we all are looking for the same, same things. Yeah. Um, well, Doug, I want to just say thank you so much for coming on. I, uh, I really it. enjoyed our talk and I got a lot of information. I know I want to talk to you separately about some things and uh, I'm, I just super happy about this episode. I think it came out great and I think it'll give dads a lot of hope and some ideas on how to find their purpose going forward in the future. I hope so. Thank you. I appreciate both of you. Appreciate what you're doing and appreciate you including me with this. Well, For sure. I look forward to, to doing things with you down the road. Yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, my selfless little plug that I always like to throw in there. Like, you know, we talked a lot about some dads dealing with suicide with their kids. If, if you or anyone you know is thinking about suicide and you're just not sure where to turn to, um, call that new phone number 988. That'll give you uh, somebody to help, someone that'll give you some guidance. Go to a hospital, go to an ER. Don't think you have to do it alone. By all means, get some help. Um, if you need to get a hold of Dan, info at jamesonsjoy.org. If you need to get a hold of myself, Chris at milesformasonmemorial.com. Um, we'll get you guys Doug in, Doug's information, or I think if you go to Courage to Cope, I'm sure there's a um, an email address on there that you can get a hold of Doug as well. There is. Yeah. And uh, Dan, anything else? That's it. Wrap it up, bud. All right. Hey, thanks again, everyone, for listening to another episode of A Father's Love Healing Through Heartache. Have a great week. Thank you.